G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, proudly brought to you by Palmer Vet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. You can find Palmer Vet at palmervet.com and always remember to gamble responsibly. Well, nearly halfway through the season, gee, time goes quickly and a fascinating season 2021 is turning into. Some new premiership contenders emerging. Melbourne unbeaten at 9-zip. What a story the Demons are turning into. Plenty going on. We've got some important news to talk about today. Full previews of all nine games. Some wonderful footy flashbacks as I say very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine, how goes it, Finey? Yeah, it goes well. And as you say, a very meaty season. Melbourne still rolling out in front. Bulldogs staking a claim. Tigers were great last weekend. And the Swans keep on bobbing along. Yeah, very interesting season. Well, interesting isn't a word I'd normally use about hamburgers, Finey. I would use words like scrumptious, delicious, mouth-watering. But that would only be a hamburger from one particular establishment. And I think everyone knows which one I'm talking about, Finey. Do you? Of course I do. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. All of those descriptions are correct. You're right. Interesting. No, but interested in, yes, I'm interested in having one right now. You've got my juices flowing for one of those magnificent Andrews hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Interesting is a word I'd probably use about home renovations because you can get a variety of work. But uh, when I think about one particular home renovation company, I'm thinking sturdiness, reliability, integrity. And uh, who am I talking about there? You're talking about West Point Properties. Nick Spartels and the boys are tools up all the time building great renovations and rebuilds in a city, southeast, sort of South Melbourne, Albert Park, uh, Port Melbourne, Middle Park, very much close to town and close to the heart of anybody who gets a West Point property build is top quality and innovation. Nick Spartels is boys, West Point Properties. And interesting is certainly a word I would use for a particular website, and that would be Stats Insider. Stats Insider is a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. They simulate an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. And along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider are also known for their full-season forecasting which currently has no fewer than six teams with at least a 10% premiership chance this season. It is a wide-open flag race. Also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing 
and analysis, everything free to use on site. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter too before you come to abuse me at Stats Insider. Heap to get through today. Let's waste no more time. On Footyology. Well, some important stuff on the news agenda today, folks. Uh, I thought we should probably start with one story that has been bubbling along since last weekend. And since what was a pretty poor crowd turned out to Marvel Stadium on Saturday night to see Richmond play GWS, just in the order of 18,000 people turning up for that Richmond home game. Uh, No one had been talking about the crowds much, but uh, a couple of media organisations did some digging and went through the numbers and produced some probably worrying statistics, number least of which is that about 700,000, more than 700,000 fewer people have attended this season thus far compared to the same amount in 2019, of course, last year. COVID affected, so can't really use that as a comparison. Crowds at Marvel Stadium are down 25%. Now, a few qualifiers here. Um, There's been a couple of games played in Perth uh, in front of locked gates because of COVID. Uh, Crowds in Melbourne, of course, reduced by as much as 50% in the early rounds. So there's a couple of asterisks there. Nonetheless, that is a big enough drop-off I think, to have people suitably concerned. And um, there's a few factors at play here. What are your initial thoughts about that, Fine? We do have to factor in that early season restrictions, 50% off and the Perth numbers. But I guess the real eye-opener was on the weekend with reigning Premier's Tigers well down their numbers against GWS. And look, anybody in business will tell you that you don't drop the ball. Now, of course, the ball was not dropped by the AFL. It was knocked out of their hands by COVID. But the problem is that you've had that magnificent live captive audience and given them the opportunity to do other things on the weekend, to see other forms of entertainment, maybe to consume their football in a different manner. And it's going to take something by the AFL to gather that ball up again. You know, it's once people know the options, and certainly there are options, it becomes harder for the AFL to maintain that captive audience. Well, I think that's, uh, I've got, there's a few factors at play here. Look, one is definitely ticketing. The logistics of member members and reserve seat holders actually getting to their seats. Uh, it's been a bit of a mess in those early rounds in Melbourne. Um, I know as a reserve seat holder myself, you know, you weren't allowed to sit in your usual seats. You had to go through the Ticketek or Ticketmaster process, end up in a different seat. You couldn't sit with the people you usually sit with. Um, uh, reserve seat holders were finally allowed back into their normal arrangements only last weekend. So I think that's been a factor. I definitely think, and it's going to be harder to gauge for a while yet, but I think that three-month layoff last year really had an impact on people. I know it did on me. I remember when it started, you know, I was thinking, oh, how how are we going to cope without footy for that long? Well, we did. We did other things with our families and with ourselves. And um, I think what I discovered, and it was probably no... Uh, great revelation when I sat down and thought about it was whilst 
I love the footy and I think a lot of people do. I don't necessarily love all the hype and crap that goes along with it, uh, of which I think the football media is responsible for a fair bit. So I'm not sure people are quite as in love with the game as they were post-COVID. I think that's a factor. Then I think you've got these competing priorities of live crowds versus TV crowds. Now, that was really driven home to me on Monday night watching On the Couch, where Jared Healy um, was banging on about the fact that two great games on Saturday night on the TV overlapped, Richmond GWS and Port Adelaide versus the Bulldogs. He's come up with a, a method of uh, scheduling the game so that none of them overlap, which is fine and well. Um, but you're basically doing that to cater to a TV audience and encouraging that. And then at the same time, uh, well, you know, not 30 seconds later, the guys on the panel turned around and said, well, why are the crowds there? Why aren't people going? Well, the easier you make it for them to sit at home and watch every game, the harder you make it to get tickets and get to the games. Is it any great surprise that more people, even diehards, are going to take the easier option and watch more games from their lounge rooms, which I've got to be honest, is what I've done to an extent over the last couple of seasons. So um, I think there's several factors at play here, but I, th I think too people are a bit sick of this sort of feeling of the, the AFL boys club and, and being lectured by former player types in the media and, and people like Eddie Maguire telling him Saturday afternoon football's dead on a weekend when 30,000 plus turned up to the SCG for a Saturday afternoon game and no one went to Saturday night. Ned's explanation for that was about uh, people going to private school uh, sport and playing at their golf clubs and things like that. I mean, you know, it didn't seem to me to be a fairly uh, true representation of the, <laughs> the broad demographic that attends AFL footy. I think all these things add up. Uh, but the competing priorities one, I think, is important. And I'm not sure how uh, football and the AFL particularly go about rectifying that fine. I, I really believe that the younger generation now, what are they, Generation Z? Not quite sure what we're up to. I know we're nearly as invested in football as we were as youngsters. And it's mainly up to their parents, their family to sort of get them to go to the football, they need to almost go back to the drawing board and look to find ways to re-engage the football fan. Now, how they do that, there are a variety of ways, but I would say this, that I don't think that we're going to get those high numbers again, even when we get full access to crowds at all states, unless there is really quantifiable change. So... You know, it's the matter for the AFL to understand. It's one of those cases, really. You've got to admit that there is a problem before you can do something about it. The AFL have to take on board that there is an ongoing problem and make a really concerted effort to get the crowds back to the football. Well, I mean, they pay a lot of lip service to fan engagement. Well, OK, right off the top of your head, give us a few suggestions. How do we make it more attractive for people to actually go to games? Um, look, I've always enjoyed the idea of curtain raisers. I think you get more bang for your buck with a curtain raiser. And I think it, it brings potentially 
more people into a game of football. I'm not sure whether that still is the case, but it's certainly worth a try. So that's one off the top of the head. And look, I, I am not one for in-game entertainment and loud music, et cetera, et cetera. But they need to maybe survey or, or get an idea from younger fans what they expect out of their experience and have a situation where the kids are demanding to go to the football, not being dragged there by their parents. So open up and explore reasons why kids would go to the football. Well, I've got how about, one. How about, how about letting them on the ground for a kick? Well, that was uh, they actually were allowed out on the ground at uh, Marvel Stadium after the game on Sunday afternoon, which I was pleasantly surprised by. And I saw someone having a whinge about it, about it ripping up the surface, one of the former player types. I've got one I'll throw into the mix. How about making the whole ticketing business easier? Now, I realise these days it's a fairly complicated exercise, but I think a lot of that football-going culture was predicated on people going on the spur of the moment and walk-up starts. Now, I think there still is some capacity for that, but I think it's pretty limited now, and I think people that do just turn up on spec are often reduced to pretty poor choices in terms of where they watch the football. Now, let's take, for example, some of those games at Marvel Stadium where you're never going to get more than a half-full stadium. Surely there's capacity there for walk-up patrons to have some better quality seats at a reasonable price, more so than uh, is currently the case. I think that is a factor too. Look, I mean, you know, we've had reserve seats now that concept has been going well over 20 years. But I think some of these cultural things are deeply ingrained in our society and football is one of them. We make a big deal about it being, you know, open to all and everyone can go and it's not that costly. Well, how about we get back to a bit of those values and if there's a game which suddenly appears an attractive proposition on the day and people go, you know what, let's go to the footy. Don't put them off by then making them go through about five different hoops to get a seat for the game at an exorbitant price. How about that one? You know, that's that's a really good point because we've been doing a few sort of walk-up start type purchases, myself and my daughter for Richmond games. Quite expensive. You make a good point. Not the cheap experience one used to think football was just going to the footy. All right, well, we'll keep an eye on that crowd situation. Hopefully, for all concerned, it picks up the longer the season goes on. All right, next on the agenda, we have some uh, more issues at Collingwood. Uh, This really is turning into a saga now, and it was always threatening to be one, I guess, after the departure of Eddie Maguire back in February pre-season. But the latest is uh, on Tuesday, the sudden resignation of uh, director, long-serving Collingwood director, Alex Weislitz, who has left the board effective immediately and his appointed replacement is Dr. Bridie O'Donnell, a former professional cyclist um, who has a long and storied career in sports administration. She was the inaugural Director of the Victorian Office uh, for Women in Sport and Recreation, has worked at government level and a lot of committees and boards. Um, That seemed to spark an immediate backlash, uh, partly for the usual things. She's a woman, 
and she's young, uh, but also a bit of disquiet by some Collingwood fans about her, uh, let's say, Collingwood credibility, given uh, someone dug up an old tweet from her speculating that she should perhaps barrack for the Western Bulldogs and not go to the, quote, dark side of Collingwood. I think that tweet's about seven or eight years old. My biggest point on this one, though, finding I'll get your reaction in a sec, is this all ties into the reappointment or otherwise of coach Nathan Buckley. Now, the uh, lingering mooted board challenge coming from Jeff Brown, um, long-serving AFL legal advisor, ran Channel 9, very good mate of Eddie Maguire's, uh, isn't going away. He has said little about what he's planning and the ticket he's putting together, but the pressure continues and it's coming from influential voices in the media. Uh, Jeff Brown has been publicly backed by the likes of um, Tony Shaw and uh, Peter Moore, former Collingwood champions. Uh, the Galbally family has thrown their weight behind him. Um, so there's a lot of pressure mounting here. And in the case of the coach, how can they make it a, a definitive decision on his future as long as there's this doubt about who's actually going to be running the club? Because we're the current board to reappoint Nathan Buckley and we're promptly tipped out by this mooted challenge. That would be an absolute disaster. So just the air of sort of crisis and strife and an impending explosion just keeps getting stronger, I think. And it, it doesn't seem like any measures they take are able to allay that. Yeah, I mean, we've got this ongoing power play. Alex Wiseman was a big coup when appointed by Collingwood as a board member because he's a member of the Pratt family, of course, traditionally very strongly connected with Carlton. So to get part of the Pratt family over to Collingwood was always considered as a bit of a um, achievement by Eddie Maguire. No Eddie, no Alex Wiseman is interesting in and of itself. The allegiances of the new appointment are yet to be made clear, but I think you make a good point that we are in still a period of transition and any ongoing appointments, re the coach, cannot really be considered ratified until we know whether or not there's going to be a board challenge. So I guess it's a matter of watch this space. Board challenges can happen at any time. They don't need to happen at an AGM, by the way. These things can move behind the scenes very quickly without the requirement of an AGM. So at the moment, I guess it's play on. And that doesn't mean that Nathan Buckley's tenure is any safer but he would like and I guess Collingwood supporters would like some sense of surety wouldn't they? Well they would. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask another one of these questions without notice. Should Nathan Buckley coach Collingwood next year? No. Who should? Oh well that's interesting I mean do they go into the world of uh, trying to attract Alice Clarkson from Hawthorne trying to use the big Collingwood pool. Now would be the time to do so as Hawthorne seemed to be spiralling towards the bottom. Uh, then there's, of course, Ross Lyon waiting in the wings. People note that he still has some currency. Or do they do what 
clubs have done recently and possibly go for the most experienced person outside current coaching ranks. Knowing Collingwood, I think they might make a play at Clarkson. Knowing Clarko, I think it might be unsuccessful. So who they should go for? The most experienced person currently not coaching and who that may be is open to speculation, I guess. Well, I differ slightly on this. I, I agree. I, I'm not sure Nathan Buckley should be coaching them after this season. I've already said that. In terms of a replacement, very interesting piece on footyology this week by James Rosewarn of Stats Insider about Ross Lyon's credentials to take over as Collingwood coach. He certainly has some doubts about that for a side that is both rebuilding and not great in an offensive sense. Um, Alistair Clarkson is an obvious one, but I'm like you. I, I think he will stay at Hawthorne. I'd be looking at Hawthorne, though. I just keep thinking of Sam Mitchell as a very, very well-credentialed successor. And it's reminding me a little bit of the um, move of another Hawthorne great, Lee Matthews, to Collingwood, a coaching appointment that worked out pretty well for the Pies back then. Look, he's young, he's raw, he'd have to be supported by the right people. But I'm a big fan of Sam Mitchell's football brain and football expertise. And uh, I think that would be a very forward-thinking move on their part. Still, a lot of water to go under the bridge there. Maybe they will reappoint Nathan Buckley. There seems to be a growing push for that to happen, which may surprise some people. All right, final thing on the news agenda this week. And uh, I'm glad we're going to put it out there because not enough people have. We've talked about this before. We talked about uh, Russell Jackson of the ABC's magnificent piece on former St Kilda prodigy Rod Owen and the very, very sad story about his, uh, I guess, unfulfilled promise, which in no small part was due to trauma he suffered in his formative years. Uh, Trauma being sexual molestation at the hands of officials entrusted uh, to look after him. And they were involved with St Kilda's Little League team for whom he played. If you haven't read that story, it's an absolute must read. Very, very sad story. The incredible thing about it, and uh, we've asked this before, is why no major media or other organisations have been moved to follow this up. And it was driven home again today. Russell Jackson has followed it up himself. He has gone and sought some expert uh, opinion from the likes of player advocate Peter Jess, a man who we know and a man who is tied up with the uh, challenge, potential legal challenge to the AFL on concussion. And Peter Jess has basically come out and said he thinks this is very likely to end up in the courts and as a matter for compensation. Um, you're talking, and, and what uh, Russell Jackson's piece at the weekend um, really laid stark was the extent to which this has been going on. Um, there's so many people who have been affected by this. I actually know one of them. I had uh, a former colleague of mine make contact with me and say he was actually one of the people affected. Uh, he had played for St Kilda's Little League and he went through a horrible experience with one of the people named in this story. Terrible. The, the net spreads very, very wide. Now, St Kilda 
Um, there's comment again from St Kilda CEO Matt Finnis about what the club is doing. They're, currently, there are two uh, convicted pedophiles who remain life members of the club. Um, they are still life members at this stage. That doesn't mean the Saints won't take appropriate action, but it hasn't happened yet. But again, I ask you, Finey, why is it that this story now has had three different airings? The initial Rod Owen story, the follow-up by Russell Jackson a week ago about the extent of that pedophile network operating in junior football overseen by the VFL. And then a third one talking about the very real possibility of a class action uh, against football interests. And yet the Herald Sun hasn't touched it. The Age hasn't touched it. I haven't seen any of the major TV networks touch it outside the ABC where the story was initially aired. Now, if this is a case of professional jealousy and that's the reason the others haven't seen fit to give it any airtime, that is an absolute disgrace. What other reason could it be, though? Is it lack of resources? Do they really think it's not a story, given the depth of research that Jackson has done on this story? How can this incredibly far-reaching and disturbing story not have been followed up by media outlets, which are, as a rule, desperate for any sort of content, no matter how trivial? It just defies belief, and I just continue to shake my head at the lack of buy-in from other media into a very important story. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Lack of resources, Rowan. We have ground our media, football covering media, down to past players and and really a closed circle at that. If you see the amount of double-ups in terms of positions held within, say, uh, Fox Football, radio through SEN with their 24-hour coverage then onto the newspapers there's just not that many people covering football and certainly not that many professional journalists covering football anymore so unfortunately if it is a story outside uh, the bailiwick of an ex-footballer which would be you know the game as it is played and matters concerning really current football issues, tribunal, coaching, etc. I think we are fairly thin on the ground for journalists capable of covering a story as deep, serious and potentially um, sort of uh, ongoing, with, with an ongoing echo that could really be a major disturbance to the AFL and to particular football clubs, I don't know whether we have footy journalists capable of covering something with that gravitas. Well, maybe it doesn't require a football journalist. Maybe it requires someone covering general news. I mean, I, I find that I understand the argument to an extent about resources, but newspapers today are still capable of covering stuff they think are important stories, no matter how sketchily. This literally has not been touched by either of those newspapers I speak of. And I think it's a pretty piss poor effort on the part of both, to be perfectly honest. Let's see and let's hope that this latest piece by Russell Jackson in which the possibility of legal action 
um, which would be incredibly costly and incredibly damaging, actually shakes a few from the trees and gets them to wake up and stop dutifully transcribing whatever some former player said about this coach or player and actually do some serious news because pretty disappointing the lack of uh, substantial reporting of what are some serious issues going on in football. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox on that one now. We're going to wrap up the news segment. We've got nine big games coming up this weekend. Let's talk about them now. On Footyology, previews with Punch. The first game of round 10, and it is a massive Friday night clash. It is a repeat of last year's qualifying final and the year before, as a matter of fact. It is between Brisbane and Richmond, 7.50pm at the Gabba. What a clash this should be. What are Stats Insider telling us about this one? Well, Brisbane, along with the Western Bulldogs, are the only team housing both the top four attack and defence, while the current five-game winning streak has elevated them to a 39.3% chance of making the top four, according to the Stats Insider Futures model. Interestingly, while this is the round's only clash between two top eight teams, Richmond and Brisbane rank just 15th and 17th, respectively, for total disposals. Uh, What do the odds makers say about this? Well, Palmer Bet have the Lions as a warmish favourite for this game. They are paying $1.39 on the head-to-head and the Tigers a potentially lucrative $3.03 on Palmerbet. These odds are correct at 8.30am on Wednesday morning. So if you want to see them updated, head to palmerbet.com. But as we record, they are the head-to-head prices. Uh, what are we thinking about in terms of potential changes for either team, Finey? Well, definitely a couple of forced changes for Brisbane. We know the Gardeners out for three months, unfortunately shoulder injury there, and also Ryan Lester. So Madden, who's already made his debut for the Lions, can come back into that defence. And I would assume that Cadian Coleman, who came on as a sub and played pretty well, can hold his spot in the team. As for the Tigers, Prestia, not ready quite yet, I don't think. So we won't see him. Caddy has performed well in the VFL, but I wouldn't be surprised after that famous win against GWS, courageous down to the last moments that they don't make any changes. Look, we know one thing's for sure, <laughs> that one team that's not scared to go up to the Gabba is a team that's won a grand final there. I mean, they've always liked this mob, this group of Richmond players has always liked playing up at the Gabba and they'll be greeted by a team pretty well in red-hot form. I mean, it's amazing to think that Brisbane, without Lockie Neal, has been able to put together a run of successive victories, five in a row, and really looking the goods. They crushed Gold Coast last week. They're getting exactly the sort of service that they would want out of their ruck combination. I think McInerney's been fantastic in the middle, starting to really palm the ball to advantage. And Danaher providing if not necessarily a bag of goals up forward, enough of a headache that the likes of Hipwood has hit a bit of form and, you know, Charlie Cameron back to his dangerous best in the forward pocket. I lay some of that credit onto the shoulders 
of Big Joe Danaher. I think he's made a big difference structurally. Speaking of structurally, McStay, who we always talk about as structure, four goals last week, looked fantastic. As for the Tigers, super brave against GWS, but they still are down in the midfield. And I think it's just a, a bridge too far to expect them to repeat that performance, this time away from home against a better opponent. So they did get over the line last week. I don't think so this week. Brisbane for mine by 13 points. Well, this could be a week when we uh, we go with different horses, Finey, because I am maintaining my faith in the Richmond machine. Uh, this is becoming a bit of a uh, hobby horse for me, but I still think the Tigers are going to win the flag. They weren't overly impressive for the bulk of that game against GWS, but when the whips were cracking, uh, I'm labouring the racing metaphors here, uh, they really jumped on the horse and rode for all they were worth. Great last quarter. The pressure game really came back and they were irrepressible by the end, getting over the line for a really important and I think potentially season-defining win. The other reason for me, and yes, coming back to historical records, but there cannot be a side with as good a record at an interstate venue as Richmond has at the Gabba. Or against another team in Brisbane, as a matter of fact. Um, the qualifying final loss, which was only by 15 points, let's face it, that was Richmond's first defeat in 16 games against Brisbane. A huge winning stretch. But more importantly, as you pointed out, their record at the Gabba. They won a grand final there. They have won 12 of their last 13 games at the Gabba. So they're familiar with the ground. They like the ground. Look, Brisbane is playing great footy. They've won five in a row. Couldn't have been more impressive in beating up on the Gold Coast. And most of those other wins have been pretty comprehensive. I just think Richmond might have flicked the switch in that last quarter last week. I thought the pressure game was back to its best. And when they play that pressure game as well as they can, it's not so much about personnel. It's about the system. I reckon Richmond are going to have a win here. Um, I think those odds are pretty lucrative and uh, I think they're going to upset a few people in Brisbane's winning sequence and catapult themselves in the public eye back into premiership contention. Tigers, for me, uh, very, very narrowly. I'll go for Richmond by six points. All right, that is the Friday night game. They don't come a lot bigger, but still... Plenty of great footy ahead on Saturday. Well, the first game on Saturday afternoon is a clash of uh, great rivals of the mid-80s, Carlton and Hawthorne, 1.45pm at the MCG. Fairly grim, uh, the recent pass for either side, of course. Hawthorne losing uh, to North Melbourne last week, handing the Roos their first win of a season. And Carlton, uh, not terrible against Melbourne, but didn't really look like winning that game after that fade out against the Western Bulldogs the week previously. So not a lot of success for either side of which to speak. Uh, let's have a look at what Stats Insider are telling us about this game. They are saying that while the Blues are struggling and have just a 26.8% chance of playing finals, Something they've done well is generate inside 50s and take marks once inside. They're ranked 7th and ninth in those stats, respectively. Hawthorne, well, the Hawks have conceded more inside 50s and more marks therein 
than any team in the league. So something to consider there. Uh, the Palmer bet odds. The Blues will go in fairly warm favourites in this one. They are paying $1.30 on the head-to-head. Hawthorne uh, is offering $3.56. What about in terms of selection, Finey? What are the Blues and Hawks thinking about? Well, I guess the big one at Carlton is whether or not they continue with Harry Mackay. We know that he hurt his shoulder again on the weekend, continued on bravely. Big difference if he doesn't play, of course. But at the moment, we'll assume that he is going to stay in the team. We know Cunningham is out cruelly. Uh, he's out for the rest of the season with an ACL. So they can welcome back Silvani. And I think De Conning is ready to go. And I'm assuming that will be at the expense of main ruckman Pitonet. As for Hawthorne, young Josh Morris kicked five goals in the VFL for the Hawks. So he should be able to force his way into the side, probably the expense of Ollie Hanrahan. Gee, it's hard to tip the Hawks, isn't it? I mean, they were expected to beat North Melbourne. North Melbourne recording their first win of the season down in Tasmania. And quite frankly, Hawthorne, after leading by 30-odd points, 32 points, succumbed quite easily. The midfield, which is where you'd expect Hawthorne to gain some advantage, even against Carlton, with McAvoy servicing the likes of O'Meara, and Mitchell and Warple were actually embarrassed by North's midfield who won most of the clearances in that second half and really taught them a lesson. So they're not exactly operating full power at the moment. Up forward, it's very much a case of uh, what they can grab, when they can grab it. Lewis has not been all that successful this season. Bruce nipping in for a couple here or there. And, of course, Gunston, with his injury concerns, very much a late starter. As for Carlton, with Mackay playing, they do have some sort of focus up forward. In fact, a very good one. In fact, potentially a Coleman medal winning one. So they've certainly got somebody to kick the ball to. Casbolt, less of a target and probably a bit disappointing this season. In fact, he could make, a way, make way for Deconning as well. All in all, though, especially given the fact that Walsh has had such a good season, Cripps not so much, but maybe, just maybe, against a Hawthorne can find a little bit of form and Wietering playing well in defence. I think Carlton have enough aces up their sleeves to win this one, and I tip them by 19 points. Yeah, I've got to say, I, I'm really arming and ahhing over this one, which is probably surprising given how poor Hawthorne have been for the last couple of weeks. But uh, I do put a lot of stock in records. And I mentioned Richmond's history against Brisbane. Well, what about Hawthorne's history against Carlton? They have won 17 of the last 18 clashes with the Blues. And the one they lost, which was back in 2017, was only by seven points. So Carlton just hasn't been able to beat Hawthorne. Uh, how far back does that uh, run go? Well, you've got to go back to 2005 uh, before the Hawks started on that winning run. So um, fairly imposing stats on that count. And that does make me think twice. Plus, uh, again, a lot of respect for Hawthorne's pride as a club and Alistair Clarkson as a coach. And they have been pretty poor for the last couple of weeks. But... I just on logic just tells me I can't do it. The Blues were competitive enough against Melbourne. They did best the Western Bulldogs for three quarters the week before. 
So I'm not sure they are quite as in as quite a dark spot as some people are suggesting. Uh, I think this is perhaps the one where they convert uh, decent spells of football into an actual win uh, and a very sorely needed one. Uh, very sorely needed one at that, but not by much at all. I'm going to go for the Blues, but only by eight points. Uh, all right, that is the first game on Saturday. Let's talk about the other afternoon game. 2.10 Saturday afternoon at GMHBA Stadium. It is Geelong taking on Gold Coast. Stats Insider telling us that the Cats are their premiership favourite. They will win the 2021 flag based on 20.1% of Stats Insider's simulations. And a quick note on their midfield star, Cam Guthrie. He's one of just two players in the league, along with Sam Walsh, averaging at least 30 touches, four tackles, 20 pressure acts and four inside 50s per game. He has been outstanding as he was last year. And some pretty lopsided head-to-head odds here, courtesy of Palmer Bet. The Cats paying $1.07. That's about as short as we've seen this season thus far. And Gold Coast, a very lengthy $8.70 on the head-to-heads. It is a real uphill battle for the Suns in this one. You'd think, Finey, uh, anything happening at selection to give them hope? Yeah, a little bit for Gold Coast, just on Geelong. Dalhouse should come back in the team for the other Guthrie, Zach Guthrie. Whereas Gold Coast can welcome back Tuke Miller after suspension. Obviously a key midfielder for them. Nick Holman after concussion protocol. And I reckon Zach Smith might get a run in the ruck. Of course, Zach started at the Gold Coast, went to Geelong, and now back at the Gold Coast. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a run against his old team. Look, I can sum this one up pretty quickly. Geelong, Geelong, Geelong. And not necessarily pillar to post annihilating Gold Coast. I imagine Gold Coast will go there knowing that they're up against uh, a behemoth, and it's going to be very tough for them to win. I think they'll be on the job. And it might take a little while for Geelong to overcome their eagerness to put at least a competitive spin on the game. But in the end, it's Geelong by how many? And I'm going to say Geelong by only 41 points. Well, that would be a pretty narrow margin in my book. Uh, when you're talking about uh, clubs' records at various venues, they don't come a lot poorer than the Gold Coast record at the Cattery. And uh, remember, they played down there last year too. Of course, this was the game Matt Rowell, the boom recruit of 2020, uh, injured his shoulder. And that ended up in a comparatively narrow loss uh, for the Suns, 37 points. They actually played some pretty good footy in that game, but they were probably also in a healthier spot, both in terms of personnel and form, than they are now. This is how ordinary their record is. They've played down there six times, lost all of them, as you might expect, but it's the size of those defeats. Three of those losses have been by more than 100 points. 150 points in their first season, 120 points in 2016, and 102 points three years ago. So last year's effort scrubbed up pretty well 
in comparison. Look, I, I don't like the way this game is headed. The Cats playing really good footy, really clicked into a high gear in recent weeks. And the Suns, well, they were just terrible against Brisbane. Uh, conceded something like 14 unanswered goals. I mean, that that is back to the bad old days of the Suns. I don't see how things are going to improve much on that ledger. Uh, I'm not into tipping big margins as a rule, but I'm prepared to do it in this game. I'm going to go for the Cats by 70 points. 4.35pm Eastern Standard Time, uh, 4.05pm, of course, in Adelaide, where this game is being played. It is the Crows up against Melbourne. And this is another pretty lopsided-looking battle. The Demons, of course, nine and zip, their best start to a season since 1956. Uh, Five times in their history, they've won nine games to start a season. And each time, they've ended up winning the premiership. So pretty good omen there. The Crows, on the other hand, things have gone a bit pear-shaped for them since that promising start to the season. Any hope for atonement? Well, Stats Insider tell us that their five-game losing streak, um, they have now lost 13 of the last 14 quarters they've played Adelaide. That's a pretty bad stat. While the undefeated Demons rank fifth for total disposals, they actually rank number one in both total metres gained and total contested possessions and are number two for tackles. But uh, some pretty lopsided odds in this one too, courtesy of Palmerbet. The head-to-heads, Adelaide is $5.30 even at home and the undefeated Demons are just $1.16. What are either side looking at here in terms of the 22, Finey? Well, Taylor Walker was rested for the trip west to play the Eagles last week. He'll come back into the side. And possibly Ned McHenry. I think Frampton will certainly make way for Taylor Walker. As for Melbourne, they played Cade Sander last week. He was fairly quiet. Maybe Jake Melcham, who was the unused sub, gets a run this week. But only at the edges will there be any changes. Luke Jackson, one more week away, can't make a case against Melbourne. And that's really what you would have to do to deny them 10 in a row because they were able to come out after half time in the pouring rain against Carlton, really put their nose to the grindstone and play some very good football. Whether or not long-term they go with the big pair up forward of Wiedemann and Brown remains to be seen. We'll see what they do when Jackson comes back. But in the short term, I think that provides another headache for Adelaide, who seem to be a far... You know, they're not the team that they were at the start of the season. They have not been able to maintain that all-ground press that was so impressive in the early weeks. And, of course get the same result out of Taylor Walker. Maybe he does better with a week off under his belt, but not well enough to beat the Demons, who, by the way, cover tall forwards better than any team in the comp with Lever and May. It's Melbourne for mine, comfortably, by 51 points. All right, uh, fairly lengthy margin for you there. Uh, Look, Melbourne just powering ahead at the moment. Uh, I've written about them today, in fact, for Australian Community Media. They has struck the perfect blend, I think. The inside game has always served them well, but 
They're getting some great run on the outside now too, really uh, positioning themselves at the stoppage is a lot better. They're potent up forward, uh, got a variety of sizes and uh, types up there and their defence, courtesy of uh, May and Weaver, has been outstanding. Uh, not even much comfort for the Crows in history either because Melbourne's record at Adelaide Oval is seriously good. Of course, like a few teams, played uh, a neutral game there last year. Last start, in fact, they beat North Melbourne very comfortably there. But they did beat Adelaide very comfortably there last season as well. So the Demons have won five of their last six trips to play on this beautiful ground in the City of Churches. And I'm very confident that will become six wins from seven starts after this game and by a pretty healthy margin. Uh, I'm going to go for the Demons in this one by 42 points, which brings us to Saturday evening. 7.25pm at Marvel Stadium. It is the battle of the Docklands co-tenants, the Western Bulldogs, taking on your Saints finey. Stats Insider telling us about this one. It'll be a great test to see how far these two have come, or in St Kilda's case, haven't, since their meeting in last year's elimination final, which the Saints memorably won their first finals win since 2010. On that day, the Bulldogs mustered a scoring shot on just 37% of their inside 50 entries. This year, they are second in the competition on that front a much healthier percentage of 48.2 per inside 50. The Saints, meanwhile, rank only 17th in that stat, going at just 41%. The Palmer bet odds, uh, Bulldogs, very comfortable favourites in this one, head-to-head, paying $1.28, and St Kilda paying $3.72. Those odds, of course, uh, at 8.30am on Wednesday morning. If you're listening to this closer to game time, check the updated odds at palmerbet.com. What about team selection, Finey? What can we expect for either the Dogs or the Saints? Well, the Saints have to replace Rowan Marshall, a huge out for them, the big ruckman with ongoing foot problems, but may welcome back, surprisingly, their co-captain, Jaron Geary. So keep an eye out for that one. Whereas betting news for the Western Bulldogs with Lockie Hunter expected to be right, as is big Tim English. They would come in for Jordan Sweet and Rourke Smith. And unfortunately, Easton Wood out for a number of weeks with a hamstring injury, but a ready-made replacement there. Last week's sub, Hayden Crozier, of course, maintains his spot in the team. Well... They may have gone down to the wire in last year's final, but it has been far differing stories this season with St Kilda rarely able to get that combination of Marshall and Ryder, which proved such a headache for the Bulldogs in the final together on the field. In fact, when they have played together, they've looked pretty good. They are, of course, now not playing together because of Marshall's injury. One stat that St Kilda supporters will be desperate to see corrected, of course, is the obvious one, and that is inaccuracy in front of goal, not only under pressure, but under the pressure created from continual misses from said shots last week against Geelong, plagued the Saints. Whereas in the same round, the Doggies, I think, had their best win of the season 
going to South Australia and really a siren-to-siren performance in defeating Port Adelaide. I'm comfortable in tipping the doggies when you consider how St Kilda performed at the same venue a few weeks earlier. I think there is a fair gulf now between these two teams set up by that power midfield of the Western Bulldogs and also their functioning forward line working so much better this year with a far better return from Josh Bruce in his second season for the Dogs. Expect him to do well against his old team. Norton's in absolute ripping form. Too much for the Saints. Bulldogs by 17 for me. Yeah, got to go with the Bulldogs on this one too. Uh, their selection's pretty interesting. Really bad time to lose Marshall for the Saints. Well, any time would be a bad time, but particularly so this week, I think with Tim English, a fair chance to come back for the Doggies and he would be rucking to the game's premier midfield combination. And uh, they are in pretty red hot form, which can't be said about the St Kilda midfield. Uh, they really lowered their colours in a couple of important areas last week. Number least, both contested ball and uncontested ball. They lost both handsomely. In fact, smashed for uncontested possession by close to 60. Uh, that's a bad sign when you're coming up against the Western Bulldogs. Just too much depth midfield, too much talent around the ground. I think the forward set up, you're right. Aaron Norton looking terrific at the moment. Uh, how are the Saints going to counter that? How are the Saints going to generate enough momentum, particularly on the scoreboard of their own, having trouble hitting the side of a barn at the moment? So that is an issue as well. Uh, look, they weren't terrible against the Cats. They scrapped away, and, and but for that inaccuracy, may have had a different result. But um, the Doggies are just in another class this year for mine, so impossible to tip against them, and I won't. I am going to go for the Doggies here by 24 points, which leads us to the second game on Saturday evening. 7.40pm Eastern Standard Time, 5.40pm Western Australian Time. Why is that relevant? Well, because the game's in Perth. It is at Optus Stadium and it sees Fremantle taking on Sydney. Fremantle, uh, disappointing on the road again against Essendon last Sunday, a game they could have won. Uh, We talked about conversion with St Kilda. Well, it's proving a bit of an issue for the Dockers as well. And Sydney, uh, grinding out a unspectacular but pretty efficient win in the end at home against Collingwood. Road trip to Perth is a lot harder. What are Stats Insider telling us about this game? Well, according to their futures model, The Dockers are a 78% chance of missing out on finals for a sixth straight season. With that said, there are some positives, though, particularly in Matt Tabiner, who could be eyeing off an All-Australian spot. He is leading the league for total marks on the lead. He sits fourth for total goals and total marks inside 50. He's already amassed 25 scoring shots more than the next best Fremantle player on the list while his 98% time on ground number is the highest of any key forward in the competition. So he's pretty durable. Uh, This is pretty tight betting on Palmer bet head-to-head, and it's Frio that goes in a very narrow favourite. Fremantle paying $1.87 for Palmer bet, and the Swans paying $1.87. 
93. That makes selection pretty important, Finey. What news is there on the front for either team? Well, good news for Fremantle. Luke Ryan expected back. We know that the All-Australian defender has been sorely missed this season and he may well come in for Taylor Duman. Not too many other changes afoot. Possibly Reese Conker, the unused sub, could come in to the side. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's only one change. And as for Sydney, no need to change a winning lineup. I think they go in unchanged. The venue all important in the Palmer bet odds, obviously. And it has swayed me as well. Look, I don't think Fremantle have been terrible. Maybe not executing perfectly. But that forward line of Tabernet and Lobb is pretty dangerous. And to me, the one missing link has been the inability for Michael Walters to hit anywhere near the form this season of the last couple. All he needs to do is just find a bit of the old mojo Even when getting the ball, he's been inaccurate in front of goals. If he can just find that goal-getting ability, I think Fremantle get over the line. We know that there's no worse kicker goal in the competition than Nat Fife. Two goals, 15, is extraordinarily poor. Again, if he could go forward and kick a goal or two, how that would help. Mundy remains a rock of Gibraltar, playing brilliantly. And that defence, I tell you what, Toby Watson, or Tobe Watson, he has really impressed me. He's uh, a bit of a goer, a bit of a dasher, and also courageous going back with the flight of the ball. We, need to, get some, we need to get some guidance on that name, uh, given that it took us about four years to get Shea Bolton, right? Is it Tobe or Toby? We'll get some clarification on that one. Go on, sorry. If it was Shakespearean, it would be to be. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> whichever way it is I reckon he's pretty good look it's hard to knock the Swans isn't it they've been generally excellent even though they did have that very poor game away from home against Gold Coast where they were soundly beaten and I guess that's the one that's resonating that road trip cannot be in any way matched by a trip to the West because they won't be in it at all so with slight hesitation on the back of that poor effort against Gold Coast on the road. I'm going to tip the home team narrowly by five points. Well, I am uh, torn on this one and I I guess the Palmer bet odds reflect how difficult a choice it is here. I saw Fremantle in the flesh last week. Didn't impress me overly, I have to say. Um, Their goal kicking is a real issue. Uh, one thing that I keep thinking of in this game is Sydney might actually be pretty well suited to Optus Stadium. Uh, it's a MCG-type ground, and uh, they don't mind the MCG at all these days. Plenty of run in that outfit, uh, which is a stark change to the Swans' sides of yore that we got used to. Uh, Fremantle did account for the Swans pretty comfortably at this same venue last year, but of course that was a far inferior Sydney lineup than they're running with this year. And I reckon they've been pretty solid. They were flashy early. I think their more recent victories have been uh, ground out a bit more with the more senior big body players coming to the fore. They were pretty close to overthrowing uh, Melbourne, uh, which is a pretty decent effort in 2021. And they accounted very comfortably for Collingwood at home. Uh, I reckon they can win this one. I just didn't see enough uh, good in the Dockers 
on the road to think that they're going to be that much better a team, even at home. So uh, a minor upset of sorts, and as the odds reflect, very minor. But I'm going to go for the Swans to this win this one by just two points. Well, that is the Saturday games done and dusted. Let's talk about the three on Sunday. 1.10pm Sunday afternoon at Giant Stadium and a pretty appetising contest this one. GWS up against West Coast. Of course, uh, West Coast, pretty comfortable winners at home against the Crows last week. GWS, that heartbreaking, um, nail-biting, narrow loss to Richmond at Marvel Stadium. Uh, Stats Insider say about this game that in West Coast, four games outside of Perth this year, they've gone just 1-3 and scored just six total goals in the four last quarters. So uh, haven't finished off very well on the road at all. In fact, in the Eagles' last nine games outside of Perth, they're averaging just 1.8 final quarter goals. On a more positive note, though, they are producing a scoring shot on 48.6% 48.6% of their inside 50 entries, which is now the league's best figure and boast a 72% chance of playing finals for a seventh straight season. Pretty fine and often underrated coaching performance from Adam Simpson, you'd have to say. Palmer Bet tell us that the Eagles will in fact start favourite in this game despite being on the road. GWS are paying $2.15 head-to-head, and the Eagles are paying $1.71. And those prices, finally, might be impacted by some pretty major selection news. Tell us about that. Yeah, worst possible news for GWS. No Toby Green. So the man that was invested with the captaincy and has done it so well after the injury to Canilio is not available, as is Harry Perryman. Pretty important structurally down back for the Giants of Perryman. Haynes comes back into the side and Finlayson also expected to return after his indiscretion against Essendon that saw him suspended. As for the Eagles, good news on the selection front for them. Shannon Hearn, former captain, is back in the team, as is Liam Ryan. And that means Bailey Williams will make way. Of course, there are two Bailey Williams in the AFL, the West Coast Eagles version expected to step aside and also possibly Jackson Nelson. But, gee, that's a big loss, isn't it, Toby Green? And you're coming up against a side that has not necessarily performed at its best on the road this season, but just seems to be coming into the right sort of form. I'm not saying they were brilliant against Adelaide, the West Coast Eagles, but it was a good controlled victory with that incredible burst of five goals in 11 minutes by Jack Darling. Gee, when was the last time we saw something like that? But it shows the potency of their forward line. Add Liam Ryan, and I think it might be a step too far for the Giants, who have been pretty bloody good this year after a slow start. So credit where credit's due. But it's a big game for both. I think Eagles have got bigger fish to fry in 2021. And for that reason, I'm tipping them by 21 points. Uh, all right. Uh, you are going for the visitors. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think that their road woes might be uh, just starting to come good. They were pre- pretty efficient in dismissing Hawthorne at the MCG 
a couple of weeks back and their record at this venue isn't too bad. It's interesting, these two sides, the, their form against each other has tended to go in waves, i.e. the Eagles won the first five clashes between these two teams after the Giants came into the competition. The Giants won the next three in a row, including a final in 2017. But the Eagles have won the last four of them, albeit three of them, um, in Perth. So this one presenting a different proposition. It's the Eagles' first visit to Giants Stadium since 2018. I wonder if that will be a factor. Uh, You can't overestimate how important the loss of Toby Green is to the Giants. He is the heart and soul of that team, albeit they have some other decent players. But uh, as as, uh, skipper for them, he has been nothing short of sensational. And that is a massive, massive loss. And uh, I think enough to dictate my tip, to be honest, were he in the lineup, I would probably lean just fractionally towards the Giants. Can't really do that uh, without him in the lineup. I'm going for West Coast, not by a lot. I'm going for the Eagles by 10 points. All right, let's talk about the mid-afternoon Sunday game. Well, it's the uh, battle of the uh, traditionally speaking magpies. Uh, Of course, we won't revisit the rather tedious prison bar jumper debate, but Collingwood and Port Adelaide have had their battles in terms of attire in recent times. Let's talk about their battle on the field. Uh, Collingwood, uh, dark times for the Magpies. They only kicked one goal in three quarters last week against Sydney up at the SCG. Uh, Port Adelaide, though, having to rebound themselves after losing at home to the Western Bulldogs, and that will have stunned. Uh, Stats Insider telling us Collingwood have allowed the league's most marks and second most disposals this year. Port, meanwhile, are a high possession team. They are ranked third for both disposal and marks inside 50 on the differentials. Uh, If Collingwood aren't prepared to work here, this won't be pretty. A reminder, the Port have won their last 12 straight against bottom eight opposition and have posted a 180.1 percentage in the process. They are certainly pretty efficient when it comes to dismissing the challenge of lesser able opponents. The Palmer bet odds, uh, Port Adelaide, very warm favourite in this one, despite the fact it's the MCG. They are paying $1.33. Collingwood paying $3.35. That would suggest they're not a huge chance. Is there anything happening with regards to their lineup, which may offer a bit of hope for any? Not earth-shattering. Roughhead expected back in the side. And I think young Henry is due a break. I think he's, at the moment, a little bit off the pace when it comes to AFL football. Jack Henry's brother, Ollie. As for Port Adelaide, Tom Cleary cannot be considered. He's got a broken jaw. So he steps aside. I think Trent McKenzie, who was so good last season, might make an appearance. And Dan Houston's available. Todd Marshall hasn't hit the scoreboard in the last three weeks. So a straight swap there. Look, we're going to have to come to terms. Collingwood's a, a bottom four team. And as much as that has come with a rush in season 2021, they've got a lot of inexperienced players. Their midfield does not run deep without Adams. Their forward line remains 
I was going to say work in progress, but there really isn't much work going on down there and there's very little progress. They're playing against one of the teams that are a chance at winning the flag this season. And don't worry about the venue. Port Adelaide have got them covered all around the ground for mine. Port Adelaide by 37. Yeah, hard to uh, disagree. Uh, Look, Port have had a sort of mixed bag at the MCG. In fact, their last six visits to the ground going back to 2017, they've gone win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. Their one trip there this year, they did win pretty comfortably. That was against Carlton, of course, a Saturday night clash uh, back in round five, which they won by 28 points. Uh, Look, they were disappointing last week, but they were up against really, really good opposition. Uh, beaten in the midfield. I don't think that's going to be an issue this week. Uh, as you mentioned, Taylor Adams, he's been a huge loss for the Pies. And uh, I, I sort of feel a bit sorry for the likes of Scott Pendlebury and Steel side bottom at the moment because they are having to carry a considerable load and they uh, are dealing with their own form issues. I think the output and quality of the output of both of them just starting to decline as uh, the ageing process kicks in. And that's no slight on either of them, really. It's, uh, they've been wonderful contributors. They just can't deliver the sort of contribution uh, that we uh, became used to from them. They just don't have enough depth here, the Pies. They are, as you say, a pretty ordinary team. I think their kids are still very raw and we don't know how good they are. I think their veterans, as I just described, are starting to slow up. And I think there's a whole batch of guys who are just sort of plugging holes. And uh, we don't really know if they're bona fide quality AFL footballers or have much of a future in Collingwood's rebuilding process. It's just a real nothing team at the moment. And I think they're playing some real nothing football as a result. Port needs to win this one. Uh, but one thing those stats from Stats Insider showed is they are very, very good in uh, dispatching of lesser opposition. I think they'll do that in this game as well. Not necessarily by a heap. It might be a bit of a repeat of that performance over Carlton back in round five. I've got Port winning this one by 22 points, the Richie Benno margin, which brings us to the last game of round 10. It is the battle of the uh, north and northwestern suburbs. Bit of history between these two clubs. Uh, Not necessarily a rivalry that the rest of the football world finds quite as engrossing, but a fair amount of distaste between the Roos and the Bombers, particularly during the Roos heyday in the late 90s. Uh, Big week for them, of course, last week, breaking the ice with that first win of a season. Great comeback victory against... Hawthorne. Essendon had to fight really hard for victory at this same venue against Fremantle. Uh, Possibly a bit lucky to get over the line. In the end, six of the last nine games between these two teams have been settled by less than three goals, according to Stats Insider. Though Essendon have got the chocolates in the last five encounters. The Stats Insider futures model still keeping the porch light on for the Bombers in finals terms. That win over Fremantle giving them a 15.7% chance of playing finals footy this season. So there's still a chance, Bomber fans. I'm certainly not holding out much hope of that, to be perfectly honest. Palmer Bet has Essendon a pretty healthy favourite in the head-to-heads. The Bombers paying $1.33. 
North Melbourne paying $3.35. Uh, not often the Roos can talk about uh, what alterations, if any, they'd make to a winning lineup this season, Finey, but they have had to consider that this week. What are they thinking of doing? Well, good news for North Melbourne, uh, appealing the suspension of Taron Thomas, who played well against the Hawks. He overturned the decision. He's free to play, so no change for North Melbourne, nor should they make a change. Enjoying that first win of the season, well and truly, along with David Noble's birthday. As for the Bombers, well, Devin Smith, he's out injured and replaced last week by Nick Cox. Now, I reckon there must be, what, 14 inches difference between the two of them, but they played a similar position. It was quite interesting. Cox to hold his place in the team, even though he was out being rested, I guess they keep him in the team. He played really well when he came on. Interesting choice there. And Paddy Ambrose, I believe, kicked six goals in the VFL for the Bombers. So he may well come in for Zaharakis, who's now very much a fringe player at Essendon. Great win by North last week. Good win by Essendon. Solid victory. Essendon, for mine, are the better team still. Look, North Melbourne have come away in the last few weeks after being absolute cannon fodder in the opening month of the season. They went from competitive to victorious and more power to them. But I've got Essendon as sterner opponents than Hawthorne. And also, I like the way that Essendon have been putting together a team that combines these new young talents, the likes of Cox, Jones up forward, and of course, the recruiting of Hind. Hasn't he been a big pickup? Almost best on ground last week if not best on ground. So they've added to the mix. And it seems as though, to me, Essendon are a happier team. They seem to be playing for each other. Central to all of this is Darcy Parrish. Put that all together. I think you've got a winning combination. And for mine, Essendon by 21. Uh, well, interesting clash, this one. Uh, I, I reckon Essendon would have been pretty glad that the Ruse got up against Hawthorne. Uh, I think there was a, a bit of a sense of dread about what might happen, although not so much as there used to be. North Melbourne had a nasty habit of upending the Bombers for quite some time, but um, as Stats Insider told us, Essendon have won the last five of these clashes. Now, of course, the last time they met at this venue, that uh, amazing game when Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody kicked that goal from the pocket literally in the last few seconds of play. Uh, I don't think this will be a lopsided affair by any means. Uh, interesting, the replacement of Devin Smith by Nick Cox, uh, I thought that was pivotal to Essendon getting over the line last week. Cox absolutely stays in that lineup for me. And Smith, given his output before that injury, might not actually be that great a loss. Uh, Essendon's midfield is ticking over a bit better now. Darcy Parrish been in wonderful form. I thought Andy McGrath started to make some uh, decent improvements last week. But they've got their challenges because the Ruse midfield was outstanding last week. Cunnington and Jai Simkin particularly really impressive and definitely won that battle against the Hawks. So won't be taking that one easy by any means. Um, up forward, I think uh, it can be can be a struggle for the Dons on occasion. Similarly for the Roos, though, a lot depending on Nick Larkey. So if they can keep him in check, uh, that isn't necessarily given. Essendon's defence has had its match-up issues with uh, key forwards this season. 
Um, they should be good enough, I think, to get the points if they can shut down that particular scoring avenue. I think they might play this ground a little bit better than the Roos as well, despite the fact it is a home ground for both. So I'm going for Essendon, not by a heap, but enough. And in accordance with that average margin in recent clashes, I'm going for Essendon by 16 points. That is round 10, duly previewed. And now we have some favourite footy memories to revisit and a chance to play the best theme music in football podcast history. Not necessarily a huge range to choose from there. But let's hear it again. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Uh, Who can't be suitably pumped up ready for a bit of footy nostalgia after hearing that theme music? Well, I've got uh, a pretty famous one today, although uh, less known about this game as a whole. We are going back to the old Western Oval. It is mid-1984. It is round 10, in fact. And Collingwood, in the second year under the new Magpies administration, uh, have got off to a reasonable start of the season, notching some decent wins, playing some pretty decent footy. They are up against a Footscray side, coached by first-season coach, this is how long ago it was, Mick Malthouse, who, of course, after retiring as a player for Richmond, took on the Footscray coaching job. And this is a great game of footy. Six goals each in the first quarter. The Pies getting a fairly handy break, though, in the second term, holding the doggies goalless while they themselves kicked another four to lead by the best part of five goals. Back, though, the Doggies came in the third term, four goals to one to give Collingwood a three-quarter time lead of 11 points. Uh, Another detail sometimes forgotten about this game is it produced the mark of the year, an amazing mark, Collingwood's Dennis Banks on the uh, members' wing, flying parallel to the ground, marking the ball parallel uh, at some height and crashing to earth. Fantastic, Mark, which uh, if it's not ringing a bell, um, call up YouTube. I'm sure you'll find it. It has been replayed heaps over the years. But this game is best remembered for its absolutely dramatic finish. Collingwood leading by just a solitary point deep into time on. The ball goes near Collingwood's goals. It is repelled after a free kick is paid to Footscray's Michael McKenna. Uh, the Bulldogs thrust forward with one last desperate attack. What is about to happen? Well, let's join the Channel 7 commentary team led by triple Brownlow medalist Bob Skilton. McKenna in the last line of defence, 15 metres against Woodhall. The long hand pass to Kellett. That's Woodhall's man. Kellett through the centre-half. The long kick down the ground, cloak in the front position, but Devereux on it to take the mark. Puts it down, hoping for Beasley in the front position. That's over the back, picked up now by Allen. Allen drives the ball long where Barham's on his own. He'll take it out wide, half-back flank, and Barham once again steadies play up for Collingwood. Ricky Barham towards centre wing. Purser from behind, can't take the mark, but gets good support from McKenna. Gets through, smothered well by Moorwood, picked up by Purser. 
towards half forward. McPherson up, takes a lovely mark. What McPherson on half forward flank. 28 and a half minutes have gone as he gets it to Royal. Royal's kick, not a good one, but it's down into that last line as Cloak tries to force it out. Out towards Allen. Allen got a push in the back and will take the result for free kick. Graham Allen is looking to the other side of the ground. In fact, will go across goal. Beasley! with three goals, three to his credit. He's directly in front, only 20 metres out. Even if he's kicks astray, it'll square the scores up, but I'm sure from this position, there is some doubt about the score as Phillips is in the hands of the trainers. And uh, Collingwood may have thrown this one away as Beasley now from directly in front. Poor old Gubby Allen, held up as the poster boy for making the worst decision of all time. Of course, isn't it funny now, switching the play is de rigueur in football, and what he did was maybe poorly executed, but certainly not a hanging offence. And I often think of poor old Gubby Allen, just, was he a man before his times, Rowan? Um, oh, well, have a look at it in um, in a broader perspective. It actually wasn't that bad a decision. He just didn't put quite enough weight on the kick and uh, fantastic, uh, I guess, anticipation from our mate Simon Beasley. You know, the other thing about that incident too was that in backing back to take the mark, uh, Beasley crashed Greg Phillips, uh, Gubby Allen's intended target. Greg Phillips, of course, the father of Adelaide AFLW star Aaron Phillips. Um, Phillips crashed to the ground holding his knee, was attended by trainers while all this was going on, bedlam after Beasley gold. Um, Greg Phillips was uh, being carried off in the arms of trainers and he, in fact, missed the next three games with a reasonably serious knee injury because of Beasley backing back into him to take that mark. So uh, a double banger for um, the Magpies. They lost the game and lost a key defender for the next three weeks because of Gubby Allen's kick. Uh, and he doesn't enjoy being reminded about it too much either, does Gubby Allen. No, as I said, back in the day, a hanging offence kicking across the goal in defence. But nowadays, pretty common play. All right, uh, so mid-80s was the venue or the uh, time for my flashback. What do you got for us this week, Finey? Well, you know, I, I like going back a long way in time. I think that's sort of the feature of footy flashbacks, but not this week. I'm only going back to June the 3rd, 2012. I mean, that's not that far back, is it? But it's the day 
I'm probably doing it for Hawthorne supporters because of the pain they suffered last week in Tasmania against North Melbourne. It was the day that Buddy Franklin kicked that famous number. And what was that number, Rowan? 13! 13, 13. So it's actually quite a long package, um, but I think it's worth having a little listen back. Not only is this really a celebration of the great Buddy Franklin kicking 13 goals, because remember that day he kicked 13 goals four as against North Melbourne's nine goals five. So he himself had a very good win over North Melbourne. But it's also a celebration of our mate, Anthony Hudson. We both rate him as a caller. And on that day, it was one of the afternoons where Fox went with just a single caller. So all 13 goals are brought to you. Compliments of the calling of Anthony Hudson. Let's sit back and have a listen to Buddy kicking 13, 13. Back in front here. Great what a game. game. There's 15 seconds to get another one. Mitchell D. Wouldn't they love Buddy to take this one-on-one? It was probably the first genuine one-on-one. Well, they started with a couple of goals and they're finished with a blast and a blaze of three goals. Glory Hawthorne. He'd like to do that a few times. No, Into home. He could go along to Buddy and he could take the mark and go back and kick a goal if he wants to. Two marks, two kicks from one end of the ground yeah, to the right. other and a goal. The potency of Hawthorne on display in its various forms down here at Aurora Stadium. Last week, of course, kicked one goal three, but uh, he was always likely to do better than that today. And all of a sudden, he might be going to pop through his third goal. And yes, he does. And the Hawks, they are up and running now. There's the score sources. We'll come back to that in a moment because the Hawks might get another one. And Buddy might just get number four. And it's not even close to half time yet. And they'll need a new footy after that. He's kicked that to Hobart. White cross was there to pounce. Pop it into pocket. And again, he's clear. And Buddy takes the mark. Ruckhead. Within 40 metres of goal. Look at Thompson. But push it as much as you can. Is this four and a quarter for Buddy Franklin? It is. Five for the day. Clear and running into an open goal. Or Thompson might have bitten up more than he could chew. Yeah, he threw it because he ducked the head twice, got away with the first one. The umpire gave him a bit of grace. Yeah. Point blank range, really. Jack Rebolt really mounting the challenge for the Coleman medal. And Buddy has responded as if it's something that he owns. She was in for Puopolo. Buddy makes his move. Over kick. He did, didn't he? Oh, That's a free unnecessary. Kick. He might still get a run around here. Yeah, Wells was onto it, but a little late, so the angle and the percentages did improve, and Buddy Franklin is having a day out. Take him out of the midfield. He ran pretty hard in oh, the first half. Farida trying to be bold, but he got there. Oh, he's having a day out, Buddy, and he kicks another one. Bruce, high ball. Buddy's there again. Shrugs off Thompson and takes another mark. He's not a great contestant, Mark, but he is still a powerful man. For number nine. And it's not even three-quarter time. It's not even close to three-quarter time. He's got nine. Suckling. The wind-up. Smith off the left. Here's Buddy. This is the main event. Buddy Franklin for ten goals. This absolute superstar. First time ever. Ten goals for Buddy Franklin. Virtual's been outstanding. Here he is again, Franklin. 
So Buddy Franklin looking for number 11. That's He's getting good. into uncharted territory now. That is 11 for Buddy. So on the 50, a minute to go. Here we go. Buddy Franklin for 12. Sometimes you just gotta sit back and enjoy the show. Oh, hang on. Might not be over yet. Five seconds to oh, he let it bounce. 13! 13! <laughs> Can you believe it? He's kicked 13 on the siren. Uh, great stuff, Buddy Franklin. Great stuff, Anthony Hudson, too. I know, actually, we shouldn't go on about commentators. where We like to complain about the self-indulgence, but uh, he really is a great caller, Hutto, and he did that terrific moment justice as he has done so many others over the years what a smashing that was 115 points the Hawks won by that afternoon the final scores 27 12 174 defeating North 9 5 59 they kicked seven in the second quarter eight in the third quarter seven in the last quarter and actually, to put that into context, I mean, scores were already starting to drop by this stage. That is a massive scoreline against a team in North Melbourne who were more than capable. They were no bunnies. So uh, what a smashing. Buddy Franklin's stats for the afternoon, 13 goals, four. Ended up with 23 disposals. He took 11 marks. Even found time to lay six tackles as well. So the uh, complete game for Buddy uh, just have oh, he gave off a goal assist as well. So uh, ever the selfless team man. What a outstanding performance from Lance Franklin. That was good memory, Finey. And uh, as you say, probably sorely needed right now by the Hawks. Although uh, I don't think too many fan bases have a heap of sympathy for them. They have averaged one premiership every four years for the last half century. Um, so it's not... Comparatively speaking, it's not that much of a drought. Good memories for them, though, from a better time and uh, good memories for everyone on the footy nostalgia front. That's about it for today's show. Uh, We will wrap it up there. Of course, this podcast proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Uh, Visit their website, palmerbet.com. Always remember to gamble responsibly and finally uh, a quick thank you to our other sponsors please great burgers every time every visit 144 Bridport Street Albert Park that is a guarantee at Andrews Hamburgers and equally consistent output by our great friends at West Point Properties that's Nick Spartels and Co for a refurb or a complete rebuild in the inner southeastern Melbourne suburbs And thank you also to Stats Insider, the leading sports and data-driven industry statistical providers. They provide model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, simulating an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and probability of each result. There's some great writing on their website as well. And uh, hop on and have a look because it's all free to use at statsinsider.com.au. Thank you very much to our very loyal audience. You can continue to support us at the ACAS support page, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or at footyology.com.au. There's some really interesting stuff 
currently up a couple of good pieces gone up today too. And this podcast will be going up there as well. Plenty of Patreon links there where for Australians, $7 a month, you can become an official Footyology patron. Always very appreciative of people's support. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Good luck to your teams. Uh, if they're struggling, I hope they can turn things around. If they're riding the crest of a wave of success, may it long continue before it breaks into that uh, white foamy stuff, whatever that's called, when a wave breaks. I better not do any more surfing analogies. Anyway, thanks to your company. We'll see you again Sunday evening when we review round 10. And don't forget Footyology Final Siren. Friday evening, 10.45, after a massive game this week between the Brisbane Lions and Richmond. We'll see you then. Listener.